Democrats' fault. It's Republicans' fault. They cheat. They suppress. You can point fingers anywhere. Plenty of blame to go around. Do you know whose fault it really is? The voters. For rolling over to the forces that have corrupted the elections in this country and simply giving up. And that's the truth. From TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Dadgummit, we refuse to give up. We're not going to give in. This is our nation. We the people, and we want it back. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the completion of another work week. Can you believe we're already through the first full week of February? Oh, my gosh. It just seems like yesterday we were getting set for a voting cycle back in 2022. This is nuts, folks. This is absolutely crazy. Time's flying by so fast, so many moving parts in our lives, and it just gets helter-skelter more and more and more every day. So it's that much more important for us to get our arms around everything in our lives, the important things, and push everything else to the outside. We don't need any diversions. We need to be able to focus on the important things. So what are the most important things in your life? Maybe yours aren't the same as mine, but I'll bet you we have circles that go over each other. My family, my health, my Christian experience, my extended family, the political system in the U.S. and how it's falling to pieces and the sense of urgency just gets tighter and tighter and tighter every day when more and more comes out and says, something ain't right, Dan. You need to figure out a way to help get this straightened up because we've got to get back on the straight and narrow or we're headed down into an evil abyss where we have no idea how much more evil it can get. Well, we've got a lot to deal with today. Let's get started right now. You sheltered me from harm, kept me warm, kept me warm. You gave my life to me, set me free. Set me free Let go, and I would give 
Is there someone you know? You're loving them so, but taking them all for granted. You may lose them one day. Someone takes them away, and they don't hear the words you long to say. Isn't it really cool when you have somebody in your life that you feel that way about? I'd give anything I own, everything I own, just to have you back again. Marianne and I have been married this month. My gosh, next week. 49 years. That's unfathomable to me. 49 years we've been married. It's gone by so quickly. Oh my gosh, when I was young and I heard older people say that, I would say, oh, that's so phony. It's going by so quickly. That's exactly what it does. I mean, before we know it, every year now, we're turning another calendar page and a new year, which we just did a month and a week ago. We turned another calendar year, 2024. Who would have thought our world would look like it does today, back at the turn of the century, not that long ago. Now, some may be listening that are in their early 20s, and they say, man, that was ancient. 2000, oh my gosh, I wasn't even born then. I guess, basically, we all look at the world from our own perspective. That's the only perspective we have. I can't look through the world through your eyes, nor can you mine. We all have a different set of circumstances. Many of those overlap. I get that. We have a lot of commonality, and I'm glad I do. I'm glad I have a lot of different people in my life. Friends, family, church members, extended family, people I've worked with, friends all over the world. And I do. I have friends all over the world. I'm a blessed man. Three wonderful children, six grandchildren, I'm just a blessed guy, and I don't ever want to go through a day without saying thank you, God, for letting me have the blessings, all the blessings that I have. So there you go. So many things to unpack today. If you did not see and hear our president come out and respond to the findings, the report of that special counsel that had been looking into his misuse of classified documents, 1,800 boxes of them, by the way. Before, I'm going to let you listen to President Biden. It's not a very long speech and a few answers to some media questions at the end of it. It's, it's very brief, but it tells a lot about where we are as far as the White House is concerned. And today, the media world is in total chaos because yesterday, so much was revealed about what today Joe Biden is all about and what's going on in his life. Now, before I do that, let me say this. It doesn't matter 
how incapacitated he may be. It doesn't matter how old he is. It doesn't matter how many boo-boos he made. If you're a Christian, and most of us that are on this show following this show, we're Christians. We're instructed to pray for those that are in authority positions over us. That would include whoever is sitting at the Oval Office in the White House. Right now, it's Joe Biden. I pray for him because he's our president and authority over me. I pray for him every day. I want him to be successful. I want him to do the right things, the good things for all of us in America. Things like the rule of law, making and keeping us safe, making sure our foreign would-be opponents don't have a reason to come after us. And I know sometimes you can't stop all evil. You can't put something up to take care of everything, especially things you don't know about. But we need to pray. If we don't pray for anything else for President Biden, we need to pray for his mind to clear up, at least for this entire year and into early next year. We want him to be successful, don't we? Well, yesterday afternoon after that report came out that was damning, that's the only thing I can say about it, it was sad too, and you'll hear why in just a few minutes. After we listen to the president, and I want to listen to him with you today because I want you to hear exactly the things that he said and to understand some things. We'll talk about on the other side of this. Yesterday evening, here's President Joe Biden. Let me say a few things before I take your questions. As you know, the special counsel released his findings today about their look into my handling of classified documents. I was pleased to see he reached a firm conclusion that no charges should be brought against me in this case. This was an exhaustive investigation going back more than 40 years, even into the 1970s when I was still a new United States senator. The special counsel acknowledged I cooperated completely. I did not throw up any roadblocks. I sought no delays. In fact, I was so determined to give the special counsel what he needed, I went forward with a five-hour in-person, five-hour in-person interview over two days on October the 8th and 9th of last year, even though Israel had just been attacked by Hamas on the 7th, and I was very occupied. It was in the middle of handling an international crisis. I was especially pleased to see special counsel make clear the stark distinction and difference between this case and Mr. Trump's case. The special counsel wrote, and I quote, several material distinctions between Mr. Trump's case and Mr. Biden's are clear, continuing to quote, most notably, after giving multiple chances to return classified documents to avoid prosecution, Mr. Trump allegedly did the opposite. According to the indictment, he not only refused to return the documents for many months, he also obstructed justice by enlisting others to destroy evidence and then to lie about it. In contrast, we went on to say Mr. Biden turned in classified documents to the National Archives and the Department of Justice, consented to the search of multiple locations, including his home, sat for a voluntary interview, and in other ways cooperated with the investigation, end of quote. I've seen the headlines since the report was released about my willful retention of documents. This, these assertions are not only misleading, they're just plain wrong. On page 215, if you had a chance, I know it's a long, it's a thick document. On page 215, the report of the special counsel found the exact opposite. Here's what he wrote. There is, in fact, a shortage of evidence 
that I willfully retain classified materials related to Afghanistan. On page 12, the special counsel also wrote for another documents, the decision to decline criminal charges was straightforward. The evidence suggests that Mr. Biden did not willfully retain these documents. The evidence said I did not willfully retain these documents. In addition, I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Let me tell you something. Some of you have commented, I wear since the day he died, every single day, the rosary he got from Our Lady of... Every Memorial Day, we hold a service remembering him, attending by friends and family and the people who loved him. I don't need anyone. I don't need anyone to remind me when he passed away or passed away. Simple truth is, I sat for a five-hour interview over two days of events, going back 40 years. At the same time I was managing an international crisis, their task was to make a decision about whether to move forward with charges in this case. That's their decision to make. That's the council's decision to make. That's his job. And they decided not to move forward. For any extraneous commentary, they don't know what they're talking about. It has no place in this report. The bottom line is the matter is now closed. I'm going to continue what I've always focused on, my job of being president of the United States of America. Now, thank you, and I'll take some questions. President Biden, something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. That's, uh, that's, that's my memory has gotten worse, Mr. No, President. Look, my memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory, take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Mr. Mr. President, Mr. President. Do voters have concerns about your age? How are you going to assuage them? And do you fear that this report is only going to fuel further concerns about your age? Only by some of you. I take responsibility for not having seen exactly what my staff was doing. There's, it goes in and points out things that appeared in my garage, things that came out of my home, things that were moved, were moved not by me, but my staff, but my staff. Mr. President, for months when you were asked about your age, you would respond with the words, watch me. Watch Many American people have been watching and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is they, your judgment. They, that is your is judgment. That is not the judgment concerns. of the press. They express concerns about your mental acuity. They say that you are too old. Mr. President, in December, you told me that you believe there are many other Democrats who could defeat Donald Trump. So why does it have to be you now? What, what is your answer to that question? Because I'm the most qualified person in this country to be president of the United States and finish the job I started. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Why are you confusing the name?
much. I did not share classified information. I did not share it. With your ghostwriter. With my ghostwriter. I did not. Guarantee you did not. But the what special the, counsel said in well, the report no, that he did not say that. Okay. okay. He did but, not say that. But, Mr. President, what other... Let, let me okay, answer your question. The fact of the matter is, what I didn't want repeated, I didn't want him to know, and I didn't read it to him, was I had written a long memorandum to President Obama why we should not be in, this, in Afghanistan. And I was of this, multiple pages. And so what I was referring to, I said classified, I should have said it was, should be private because it was a contact between the president and the vice president as to what was going on. That's what he's referring to. It was not classified information in that document. That was not classified. When you look back at this incident, is there anything you would do differently now? And do you think that a special prosecutor should have been appointed in the first place in both of these cases? First of all, what I would have done is overseen the transfer of the material that was in my office, in my offices. I should have done that. If I go back, I didn't have the responsibility to that. That was my staff was supposed to do that, and they referenced that in the report. And my staff did not do it in the way that, for example, I didn't know how half the boxes got in my garage until I found out staff gathered them up, put them together, and took them to the garage in my home. And all the stuff that was in my home was in filing cabinets that were either locked or able to be locked. It was in my house. It wasn't out in, like, in Mar-a-Lago in a public place where, and none of it was high classified. Didn't have any of that red stuff on it. You know what I mean? Around the corners. None of that. And so I wish I had paid more attention to how the documents were being moved and where. I thought they were being moved to the archives. I thought all of it was being moved. That's what I thought. Now, what was the last part of your question? Whether a special counsel should have been appointed in this case and in the case of your rival president, former president. I think a special counsel should have been appointed. And the reason I think a special counsel should have been appointed is because I did not want to be in a position that they looked at Trump and weren't going to look at me, just like they looked at the vice president. And the fact is they made a firm conclusion. I did not break the law, period. Thank you all very, very much. The hostage negotiation. I'm of the view, as you know, that the conduct of the response in in the Gaza Strip has been um, over the top. I think that, uh, as you know, initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. I talked to Bibi to open the gate on the Israeli side. I've been pushing really hard, really hard, to get humanitarian assistance into Gaza. There are a lot of innocent people. That's enough of the president. A few things I want to point out there. First of all, you heard him just say it was ruled that he did not break the law. Let me explain something to you. 
this is the guy that's supposed to know all of this. He's been in politics in Washington for 50 years. He should know, and I'll bet you he does know, but even if he doesn't know, somebody in his staff, he just threw his staff, he just threw him under the bus. He blamed all of this, all those 1,800 boxes of classified uh, documents. He put that all at the feet of his staff. I didn't know. I, you know, I went out to the garage. He said everything was in file cabinets in his house. It wasn't. There were some there as well, but there were multiple boxes full of classified documents. We saw the pictures in his garage where he kept his precious Corvette. That's number one. Number two, and this is the most important part of this. He lied numerous times in what he just said. And I don't think he realizes that he was lying. Now, how could that possibly be? You know what the definition of a pathological liar is. That's somebody that habitually lies over and over and over, and even in circumstances where they have no need to lie. They just lie. He's made that a norm in his life, at least in politics. We could sit here all day and I could play you soundbite after soundbite where he lied all the time. He ran for president four times. Two of those times, he had to drop out because he was busted for perjury during the campaign, lying about things that he really didn't need to lie about. I think Joe Biden is a pathological liar. At least he has all the signs of it. That's number one. Number two, he said up front when he started his speech that the special counsel did not say that he willfully and knowledgeably exposed exposed documents, classified documents to others. He did. The special counsel found that out. Joe Biden was just being Joe Biden. That is who was elected president or who got to be um, sworn into office in January of 2021. Whether or not he was legally elected, that's a whole different story. We can talk about that another day. But this thing, my friends, it has set the world on fire. And it should Because you know who was watching that speech he gave last night? Xi Jinping. Kim Jong-un, North Korea. Vladimir Putin. Every other despot over any country on the planet that would love nothing more than to walk in the United States across our southern border, march to Washington, D.C., and take over the nation and kill a bunch of Americans while they're on the trek to D.C. from South Texas or New Mexico, Arizona, or California. He couldn't even remember the name of the president of Mexico. He called him Sisi. There is, by the way, a world leader named Sisi, Ethiopia's president. And he's doing that over and over again. This week, well, excuse me, through part of last week and this week, he talked about two dead leaders, one from France and one from Germany. Helmut Kohl from Germany, Mitterrand, 
from France and that he had just recently talked to him. They've been dead for years. We could go on and on and on. But I want to end this segment by saying this one thing. And this should have been the number one thing the special counsel wrote in his 300-page report. It is illegal. It is against federal law that governs all of the details of classified documents. It is against the law for anybody to have in their possession classified documents, especially after they're leaving office. The only person that can legally do that is a president of the United States. 1,800 boxes of documents that Joe Biden kept in four different locations, and you just heard him say he didn't ever know they were there. Where he lived, in his office, when he was between being vice president and president. They were all over those offices, his garage, inside his house. And by the way, the special counsel did say that he willfully shared contents and knowingly, willfully and knowingly, shared the contents of some classified documents illegally with others that weren't supposed to see them. Because of the classified restriction on who can handle them, Hillary Clinton broke multiple federal laws, classified documents. Barack Obama did too as well. Now, how could that possibly be? Hillary Clinton had an unsecured, not formally checked and signed off on by the White House server in her home. When she was Secretary of State, she used that server to speak to people all around the world. Barack Obama, then President of the United States, had a private secret Gmail account, and he communicated to Hillary on that server back and forth, and it was not secure. Anytime a president talks to anybody, that conversation is classified by federal law. Anytime that president sends or receives an email or a text, that text or email is classified according to federal law. Hillary Clinton got a free pass. It didn't matter that she purposely deleted 30,000 emails that she sent on that server. And then when James Comey, who was then FBI director, when he reported the results of their uh, investigation of that server, he said, we know factually every email that came or was sent from that server in Hillary Clinton's house in New York. Every one of them was sent secretly to another server in a foreign country. We know that. Every classified document Joe Biden had in his possession, he had illegally. 40 years of them. A U.S. senator has no right to have any classified documents, period. A vice president only has a right to handle them when he or she are in office. Yet Joe Biden 
He's getting a free pass. Based on that, guess what should happen about Mar-a-Lago? Nothing. Nothing. And if this special prosecutor, Smith, if he does anything to go after Trump, charging him, which he already has, but trying to convict him of misuse of classified documents, it will prove one thing and one thing only. The Biden administration is the most corrupt administration in U.S. history. And he is running, especially the Department of Justice, to be a group of his hit guys to go after all of his political foes. Joe Biden may be cognitively in a really bad place, but Joe Biden's not stupid. He knows what he's doing, and he knows he's not going to beat Donald Trump if that is the pair that go up against each other in November. His only way to stop this from happening is to get rid of Donald Trump, one way or the other. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the three ninety nine six inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home? Weird, I like it. DJ sandwich in the house. What did he say? Italian BMT three ninety nine. I call the EMT. Turkey breast three ninety nine. How much? Three ninety nine. Three ninety nine. Three ninety nine. Bingo. Limited time at participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. Partisan spin? Not here. Identity politics? Go somewhere else. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's Dan Newman. Let's do a little cleanup on the Biden administration and the President Biden's lackluster speech yesterday evening and some things that were revealed. First, the shocking thing to me was he pinned the findings, the negative findings about having all those classified documents. He blamed his staff. Quote, I take responsibility for not having seen exactly what my staff was doing. Things that appeared in my garage, things that came out of my home, things that were moved, were moved, not by me, but by my staff, 
but by my staff, he continued. Now, here are a few other little tidbits that were in that report you may not know about. It noted, the report did, that during one interview with Biden, he forgot when his term as vice president began and ended and when his son, Bo, died. You heard him get on his high horse there. How dare him even mention anything about my son? I know everything about Bo. Yeah, just last week he told somebody, he's told publicly probably millions of people through the years, Bo died fighting in Iraq. Well, Bo wasn't in Iraq. Bo was in Washington, D.C. in the hospital there when he passed away. The president shot down claims that he'd forgotten Bo's death, and he responded to language in the report that characterized him as a, quote, sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. I don't need anyone to remind me when Bo passed away. So, you know, that's my that's all my opinion. You get that? I I know for a fact. That's just my opinion. I don't know everything about stuff like this. So let's listen to what one doctor had to say about it. Hey, Fox News alert. The White House is on defense over a damning report highlighting serious concerns about President Biden's mental fitness, including that he, quote, did not remember when he was vice president and that he, quote, did not remember even within several years when his son, Beau, died. A special counsel will not be recommending charges in Joe Biden's classified documents case, partially because Joe Biden appears to be a, quote, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. The president lashing out over all the accusations in the report, but it wasn't long before he made another gaffe. Watch. As you know, initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president. I put this country back on its feet. Except that the president of Mexico is not the aforementioned CC. Let's bring in Fox News contributor Dr. Marty McCary. And Doc, look, I know you can't give a diagnosis without examining the patient. But based upon this report and based upon what you just heard, as well as, let's face it, the last decade of Joe Biden in the public eye, what is your assessment of the president's mental state? Well, first of all, Todd, everybody mixes words up and makes mistakes. But what we've noticed is a significant progression in slowed speech and the memory lapses are increasing in frequency. So it's not subtle. And at this point, it's not really a medical diagnosis as much as it is obvious to even a lawyer who essentially made the diagnosis in this report of age-related dementia. So that's the concern. You've got cognitive decline right in front of our eyes. It's very obvious how he's performing today versus to say five years ago, and it's sad, really. I'm glad you mentioned that phrase five years ago because let's look ahead five years in the future. No matter your politics, we can all see that this is not good. In fact, I'd say this is very, very bad. But what's worse is what happens to Joe Biden's mental state, in my estimation, over the next five years. Within that time frame, if Joe Biden is reelected, he will be president for part of that five years. What will happen to Joe Biden based upon what you're seeing so far over that time? period because I can't imagine doc he's going to get better 
Well, that's right. At this trajectory, it's extremely unlikely that there's going to be a sudden stabilization. This is clear age-related dementia, and people are concerned about it affecting performance. If this were the CEO of a company, people would not buy the stock. A board would likely intervene, and people are concerned about the long-term trajectory of another four years. Now, separate from politics entirely, it's just sad. We're looking at age-related dementia right in front of our eyes. Others may argue that you're voting for a party and not for an individual. I generally stay out of politics, but it's very obvious what's happening here. We're witnessing cognitive decline. Yeah, and to that point, Doc, when I watch this, obviously I have a job to do and I have to call out the president on things that he does and does not do because that's my job. But as a human, having a grandmother with Alzheimer's, having a great aunt who had significant dementia, this is sad to watch. I don't want to watch this. I don't think many Democrats want to watch this, and I think it's hurtful that people put him in this position. But forget the presidency. Would you feel comfortable, as a human, having Joe Biden house at your home for a week based upon what you've seen so far? Well, look, it's a little reminiscent of John Fetterman. We were clearly watching uh, cognitive decline for, related to a, a stroke after an event. Uh, we're basically watching somebody in mental rehab going through the process. Um, so people have to make up their own decisions. But I will say this. If we are seeing this sort of obvious dementia in the brief flashes of time we're seeing in public, people are wondering what is he like in private. And this report is the first glimpse of what it's like to sit down with the president for five continuous hours, just as the special counsel did. And as you said, he couldn't remember his vice presidential term, his son's death, even within several years. So it's not being off by a year or two. And that's the concern is that uh, this is what he's like in private. If you were counseling Joe Biden as a patient who walked into your office with his wife there, maybe some children there, would you tell him it's time to retire? Well, it's certainly humiliating to have somebody with a distinguished career in any industry, let alone government service, to be out on public uh, sort of display in this state. It's um, it's not going to get better. And for that reason alone, I might suggest that uh, somebody, you know, pass it on to somebody else, because this is it's not a good way to go down uh, after a long career. Yeah, there are a lot of political questions as to who that person to be passed down is obviously not going to get into that with you. A number of other people, let's say half the country is going to be discussing that. But when it comes to the medical, you're spot on. Dr. Marty McCarry, we appreciate your time and your insight this morning. So you got a little long distance medical perspective there from Dr. McCarry. And he wasn't there, so he wasn't trying to diagnose the patient. But there were so many moving parts in what Joe Biden had to say to the American people. I would guess if I was going to put a number on the percentage of what he said was factual, less than 40%. And he thought, honestly, I believe he thought he was telling the truth in everything he said. And he countered himself, the facts, over and over and over again. And then take it back up a notch, this conversation. Before we move on, this is the final part of this. If this does not illustrate the fact that there is at least a two-structured justice system in the United States, if not even a third, there is some law that somebody has and somehow has the arbitrary 
power to use that law to judge anybody in Joe Biden's circle differently than from anybody else that's in government. And then, of course, forget about us. We're way down the totem pole. As if any more evidence of this two-steered system of justice that now exists in the United States was necessary, the DOJ, Biden's Department of Justice, they found that while he, quote, willfully retained and disclosed classified materials that no criminal charges are warranted, and unlike GOP frontrunner Donald Trump, who is being prosecuted for the same thing, Biden won't get so much as a limp slap on his wrist. If Biden's supporters were high-fiving after the findings of the special counsel Robert Hur, the report described the 81-year-old's mental state as a confused old man in such bad shape that a jury would find him to be, quote, a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory who would likely present himself that way in court as he did during our interview of him. Now, keep in mind, this guy works for Joe Biden. Her, the attorney, the special prosecutor, special counsel. He works for Joe Biden in Biden's Department of Justice. And so you know he watered down what his conclusion was, but he still had to bump right up, maybe get a little bit into a realistic finding, at least in part, of what his investigation showed, found Biden to be, quote, a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory who would likely present himself that way in court as he did during our interview of him. And so, to end this thing, this conversation up, let's leave it right here. That feeble old man that can't remember much of anything is running the government of the number one country on the planet right now. Can you imagine that military member that is following him around with that suitcase with the nuclear codes in it? And that it could very well happen that in just a few minutes of time, that guy would have to immediately get to President Biden, and he's within a few feet all the time, that guy is with the nuclear codes. And Joe would have to make a split-second determination to retaliate and launch ICBMs from all across the United States at whoever was firing at us. That'll never happen, Dan. Man, I pray you're right. I don't know if it'll happen either, but you know what? It's stupid to not prepare for the eventualities when something, especially something serious and deadly as having to make a decision about firing nuclear weapons at another country, that should get every American's attention. Okay, I'm done with Joe Biden for the day. How about that? I just It just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. You know what's going on in some of the big cities around the nation? What's happening with empty real estate? Squatters are moving into these empty homes. Many of them are for sale, but they're empty. People have moved out. And it's principally because of this 
horrible economic position we find ourselves in, and real estate problems are everywhere. Squatters in Atlanta, Georgia alone have commandeered over 1,200 homes they're now using to effectively terrorize local residents around them. Things are so bad in Atlanta, many of the owners offer these intruders money to leave, and many property managers won't even check on suspect houses alone. A local business owner in Atlanta, Matt Urbanski, he runs a home cleaning and construction firm. He knows about this all too well. Last spring, a squatter shot one of his employees in the leg after the employees tried to remove the man's possessions from a home he didn't own. I'd be terrified in Atlanta to lease out one of my properties, Urbanski said. It doesn't help that local politicians think the solution to this academic is to punish corporations and individuals who own. They own these vacant properties. Now, this crisis, and just like at our southern border, this is now a nationwide crisis. It's especially affecting the rental industry, with even big rental giants taking losses because of it, especially because evicting squatters can take half a year or longer due to backlog courts and overwhelmed police. In fact, one of the biggies, Tiber Capital Group CEO Simon Frost, reportedly recently wrote a note to a local authority begging for their help. Unlawful occupants, they often brandish weapons. They threaten neighbors, including kids, by the way. That's his letter. This problem is rapidly growing. We're concerned about the impact this is having on safety and livability of our local neighborhoods. Now, just imagine how small-time individuals who are just trying to rent out their property how they're doing with all this. A small individual who would want to use that property to build their long-term wealth and secure their future, it could potentially destroy them financially. One local resident told the New York Post they're afraid to just go on vacation because squatters might move in and take over their home. And asked this, is this even America anymore? We're homeowners. And we can't even do anything about trespassers? Well, thankfully, there have been some silvers, slivers of hope, just such as when four particularly obnoxious criminal squatters were finally arrested in October. That put an end to a nightmare for the home's neighbors. Neighbors said the people who lived in the home kept them up at all times of the night. Parties and other non-neighborly activities. People who live in the Thaxton Reserve community said they've lost plenty of sleep the last four months because of the nightmare neighbors at that home. A lot of partying. They had an illegal strip club on the weekends, one neighbor said. Squatters and their party guests, they also raced out into the streets. They left piles of trash everywhere, smoked marijuana, evidently brought horses. Yes, horses! to that one particular home. They would get live horses. One day they had live horses. Neighbors complained to the authorities for months. Nothing happened till mid-October when a SWAT team finally showed up and took down the squatters. 
So you're probably like me. When I heard about this beginning several months ago, I said, how in the heck are these squatters getting hold of these properties so easily? You know how? Exploiting technology. The advent of self-showings allows would-be tenants to request a viewing and to get a code to enter a property to look at a home. That obviously can go crazy when the information falls into the wrong hands. Fake lease documents are readily available on the internet. You can just pick a place you want to go live, an empty house, draw up a fake lease, tell them you're online, you want to go look at the house, Zillow or some of the other operations that make that available, get a code to open the front door, you go inside, you've got a fake signed, supposedly signed lease in your hand, and if anybody, including the homeowner, wants to kick you out, it takes a month, sometimes a, a year, to get through the court system to get those people kicked out. And most of the time by then, their house, the owner's house, is in shambles. People have figured out how to leverage the technology in such a way they can get into a house, counterfeit a bogus lease document, and then just won't leave. Same thing seems to apply to turning on utilities like internet, water, electricity. Many internet providers require hardly any proof at all of residency. One squatter get a bill for an online account. They can use that to set up water and power service and just fake it. Perhaps the saddest case is when the squatters are unwitting squatters. Bloomberg explained that sometimes actual squatters commandeer a home and then rent it out to unsuspecting victims who then become squatters themselves by default. Normalizing criminality. That's what America is seeing happen all across the nation today. So we have rampant criminality. We have leftists. George Soros-funded district attorneys in big cities around the country especially. We've got one right here in Shreveport, Louisiana. I mean, we're a 150,000 populated area, not one of the biggies, right? But they don't like the way that law has been enforced in the past. They don't like the bail system. So what do they do? They talk their city councils into let's just do away with cash bail. These people need a second chance. Boy, they are getting second chances, are you? They're going out and doing the same crimes over and over and over again. They're not worried about it because they'll get arrested, processed, no bail. Rampant criminality everywhere. We have it in the White House. (laughs) I'm not going back to that. I just explained to you. How Joe Biden, for every one of those classified documents he had in his hand, he broke a federal crime. But we're talking about a guy that every day he allows, in fact, he encourages illegals to step across the southern border into the U.S. And doing so is a federal crime. And Joe Biden not only doesn't stop it, he encourages it to continue. And it's all because we are so good The American people are so good. They want to just give those indigents that come from every other country on the planet 
and let them come in free. And oh, not only are they here free, we pay for everything taxpayers do. Let's move on. Do you know who Molly Hemingway is? I really like Molly. She's a conservative political commentator. She testified on elections in the U.S. and how they're being rigged and destroyed by leftists seeking to seize control of our country. So as conservative Greg Price stated on X, formerly Twitter, in four minutes, Hemingway deftly summarized what is going on in America's election from mail-in ballots to Zuckerbucks to censorship to big tech censorship to Democrats trying to put Trump in jail. And Molly Hemingway compared it to Soviet Russia. She said, today the American system of self-governance is under attack. Instead of an election day where everybody goes and votes at the same time and with the same full set of information, votes are counted quickly. Everyone promptly knows and trusts the outcome. We now have lengthy election seasons that can last months prior to and even after election day. And this was in her testimony before Congress. The situation is so absurd that we have presidential and gubernatorial debates weeks after some people have already voted instead of having total security and a verifiable chain of custody for ballots being issued, cast, and counted. She went on to talk about the voter rolls across the nation that time and again failed to be cleansed of those who have passed away or have moved and aren't eligible to vote. We flood addresses across the country with tens of millions of unsupervised mail-in ballots months ahead of elections, frequently to locations from which voters, if they're even alive, have long since moved instead of having an election administration that is rigorously nonpartisan and impartial under the law. We've allowed the private takeover of government election offices by bipartisan oligarchs and their armies of activists who use those offices and their authorities to tilt an election toward favorite candidate instead of voters being able to vote for the candidate of their choice. She then segued to the communist tactics of the left who have tried every dirty political trick in the book to keep Trump from even running because they fear he's going to win again. They've also tried to destroy him and his family financially in order to push him out of the presidential race. I heard a number yesterday, $50 million Donald Trump has paid in legal fees so far. $50 million. Powerful interests backed by wealthy oligarchs are working to remove the most popular candidate and the ruling party's chief opponent from the ballot in a move reminiscent of Soviet Russia. And if that wasn't enough, instead of the top candidates chosen by the people being able to fully engage in a vigorous campaign heading into an election, we have one side actively trying to throw its opponent in prison and bankrupt his family. Again, reminiscent of Soviet Russia, instead of a system of rule of law that gives Americans the same rights and due process. She went on to elaborate on the persecution of conservatives, especially Trump, of course, using a rigged court system and a lapdog media to achieve their ends. In other words, anything goes. Whatever it takes to win this election, by Jesus, we're going to do it. 
DOJ and other partisan actors are prosecuting their opposition. They're doing the dirty work for the Democrats in office, whether powerful or lowly, doing so in places where partisan juries will ensure a quick conviction instead of a free and independent press that shares news and information to help inform the voters. We have a press, a media that is almost exclusively the arm of one political party. And it's so darn corrupt that it's willing to perpetrate hoax after hoax after hoax against opposition party members instead of nurturing a vibrant public square where Americans can debate issues, express their strongly held views. Folks, that's in the past. Look over your shoulder. Look in your rearview mirror. We don't have that today. Hemingway then dove into the political censorship that exploded under President Biden. How politics and big tech have joined forces. They're doing it to silence anybody who doesn't share their views. She said, We have an elaborate censorship industrial complex where the government works hand-in-hand with tech oligarchs to suppress and blacklist debate on all the important issues that contribute to election outcomes. This is something I know firsthand, she said, because our government worked with tech companies to censor me for my election reporting. Allowing just one of these attacks to infect our electoral system would be a crisis. Allowing all of them at the same time is an existential threat to our system of self-government. And then she talked about her best-selling book, have you heard of it, Rigged, and how it had been co-opted by those seeking political gain and power. I reported on a new phenomenon, she said, in the 2020 election that has already severely eroded trust, needs to be addressed decisively in the last presidential election. Nonprofit groups with very strong ties to the Democrat Party and funded by one of the world's wealthiest and most powerful men, Zuckerberg. Facebook founder Zuckerberg took over government election offices, most notably in the Democrat areas of swing states. Since then, the efforts by partisans to further infiltrate government election offices to ensure favorable outcomes, it's only increased. She emphasized at the end of her testimony, the private oligarch takeover of our elections is a threat to our system of self-government that we may never be able to get back. That same sentiment shared by many conservatives who have shown proof over and over and over and over and over again of the threat while leftists brand them, what do they call everybody that thinks the 2020 election wasn't? quite up to par, you're an election denier. And it's even gone upstream. In the House of Representatives now, very conservative members, when they watched the fallout that happened, principally when Dominion voting machines got a billion-dollar judgment against Fox News for people on Fox reporting the facts about, and we won't call it election fraud, We'll call it election uh, interference. That's the term we'll use. And those members of Congress, many of them will refuse to talk about election interference in 2020's election. 
Y'all just sit down and shut up. If you haven't yet, you need to go to the homepage of truthnewsnet.org. When the show is over, do it. Published a story today. It's titled, The Greatest Trick That Big Brother Has Ever Pulled. And of course, Big Brother is a reference to that book that came out in the early 60s. Is that what it was out? 1994? The writer, I think, was pretty much of a prophet because he prophesied much of what you and I are living in this very day. And it's kind of spooky, but check out that story today. Up ahead, a big group of Republican attorney generals are after this president, and it's probably for a good reason. They are watching after all this hoo-ha became public about China, people from China buying up vast, vast volumes of American land and how dangerous it is. We'll get into that. We'll get into much more. We got a busy day left ahead. And don't forget, for the weekend, if you don't take advantage of this, you need to begin. Every Saturday morning, 1.45 a.m., we publish our bullet points week bullet points for the whole week the biggest stories of the week and you can get a synopsis of the big stories without having to spend a lot of extra time again it's called saturday bullet points every saturday morning speaking the truth the left doesn't want you to hear tnn the truth news network i know i should quit smoking but it's just (sighs) my feet and hands are numb a lot walking to the bathroom gets me winded (laughs) I cough all the time. Seriously? I've been dying to quit. Don't wait till you're dying to call. When your health is worse, it will be too late. 1-866-QUIT-YES. The Illinois Department of Public Health and the American Lung Association in Illinois. QuitYes.org. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. Those are the only words to the song. (laughs) Hey, that's from back in the 80s, I guess. It's called uh, Rock and Roll Part 2. I don't even remember Part 1. It probably sounds a little bit like Part 2, don't you think? Hey, listen, I told you about the Missouri Attorney General. I didn't mention him by name as Andrew Bailey. He's put together a group of of, um, Republican attorneys general. And they're calling on the Biden administration to restrict foreign land ownership anywhere near a U.S. Air Force base this week. Bailey, this attorney general, 
He sent a letter to the U.S. Treasury on Monday requesting it add Whiteman Air Base to its list of protected military facilities, and if they do that, it would ban foreign interests like Chinese nationals from owning land within a 99-mile radius of the base, absent Treasury Department approval. Lawmakers in a bunch of states, including Missouri, have begun taking on legislative and executive action to limit ownership of any U.S. land by Chinese nationals following reports of land purchases by Chinese government-tied individuals and other entities from China in North Dakota, Michigan, Kansas, Oregon, and even other states. It's imperative that Treasury Department add Whiteman Air Force Base to the current list of protected facilities. That's from Bailey's letter. Inclusion in this list would ensure foreign interests could not own covered real estate or make covered real estate transactions absent U.S. Treasury approval within the 99-mile protective boundary of that base. Now, Whiteman, it's an Air Force base. It's about 70 miles from a proposed manufacturing facility outside of Kansas City that is being built by Snano Technology USA. Snano USA, C-N-A-N-O. Now, Snano is owned by the Chinese. It has extensive Chinese government ties. Back in 2023, it was discovered that they were expanding upon research conducted by the Heritage Foundation Oversight Project and Heritage Action. And this Chinese ownership of land around military bases uh, bases in the U.S. were revealed. And there are dozens of them where it's already happening. Whiteman Air Force Base, by the way, is the home of the 509th Bomb Wing and its fleet of B-2 Spirit Stealth Bombers. Those play a key role in U.S. Global Strike Command strategic deterrence efforts. These bombers are capable of deploying to forward operating installations across the globe. Yet their only permanent base is at Whiteman in Missouri. Such is the capability of this powerful heavy stealth bomber that they've routinely flown around the globe, resupplied by air-to-air refueling, and have returned to Whiteman without the need to even touch down on any foreign soil. So you can imagine why the Chinese want to get close to that. I think this is just my, you know, I'm a southern southern guy, born and bred in the South. I don't believe in any foreign national owning any piece of real estate in the United States. Now, why would you say that? That kind of flies in the face of the free market system, capitalism, doesn't it, Dan? Well, it would if the people that were wanting to buy this property were wanting to do it for really good purposes. But it's a little bit odd that they're buying a bunch of land in the United States, the Chinese nationals. And when we say Chinese nationals, that means kind of private businessmen and women. There is no private ownership of anything in China. The Chinese Communist Party is involved in every one of these transactions that's taken place. You can bet. Of course, one other little thing that exposes that is that um, 
every one of them, are around military bases. wonder what Joe Biden thinks about that. Somebody asked me yesterday, I talked to somebody about this yesterday, and they said, how much is Biden getting out of it? Wasn't me. But it makes you think, and you go, hmm. More Biden good news for big business. Ford Motor Company lost billions, billions with a B, of dollars on its electric vehicle product lines last year. That's according to examined corporate documents. They only lost $4.7 billion last year, a greater loss than the $4.5 billion the company expected it would lose last year. That's according to a summary of the company's annual earnings. They pointed to an extremely competitive pricing environment as a key reason for the losses. Ford sold 72,000 EVs last year, meaning that the company lost nearly $65,000 on each electric vehicle that it sold. The company's expecting to lose between five and five and a half billion on its EV products this year. Gosh, how can they afford to do that? I know they're a big public corporation, stockholders out the wazoo, other car and truck lines they're selling, but I don't care who you are. Taking a $5 billion hickey and thinking it's okay and then the next year taking a $5.5 billion hickey. Oh, my gosh. Don't you think it's time to stop doing what you're doing? It's insane to expect different results when you do the same old, same old year after year. The customer insights were getting by being an early mover in electric pickups, SUVs, and commercial vehicles. Those are invaluable, especially as we're developing next-generation EVs that are going to surprise customers and be profitable within a year of their launch. That's John Lawler, Ford CFO. EVs are here to stay. Customer adoption is growing, added Lawler. Now, explanation of those things he had to say? Simple. He's Ford CFO, John Lawler. He's got to try to sell the vehicles. Nobody else is buying them. Why not you or me, right? In January, Ford announced it's cutting production of its F-150 Lightning electric pickup truck. That's in the middle of slower-than-anticipated growth in EV demand. Joe Biden took an F-150 Lightning for a test drive during a visit to Michigan back in May of 2021 to promote his administration's electric vehicle agenda, which aims to have EVs constitute half of all new car sales by 2030. Ain't gonna happen. The Biden administration is using big-time government subsidies, aggressive market regulation to push electric vehicles on all of us. Despite their efforts, the industry as a whole finds itself in a very weak position to start this year. Ford and several of its competitors are losing billions of dollars on their EV products while executives are backing away from short-term production targets. You know, being in business is about being in business to uh, make money. 
And when you can't make money, you stop doing what you were doing that's costing you money, right? I want you to hear something that just really shocked me. I don't have many of the details, but the House Judiciary Committee is suing the FBI. This branch of Congress, House, just a committee, House Judiciary, that committee is suing the FBI. The House Judiciary Committee now suing the FBI. Cheryl Cassoni with the reasons now. Cheryl. This is going to be something else, Maria. This is Jim Jordan. So the House Judiciary Committee is suing FBI agent Elvis Chan for defying a congressional subpoena for his deposition related to the government's alleged collusion with social media companies to censor speech. This is according to a report by Fox News Digital. The co committee, which of course is led by Jim Jordan, believes that Chan was the primary liaison between the FBI's foreign influence task force and social media companies. He was first subpoenaed back in September. Think about that. Isn't it kind of ironic when the U.S. Congress, that's supposed to be a branch of the government, I think it is, and the Department of Justice, which is another branch of government, and Congress has exclusive oversight committee of every one of the other branches of government to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do, and some irregularities come up in the FBI. Oh, my God, I can't believe any irregularity exists at the FBI. Can you? Well, the House Judiciary Committee, they found one, and they want to have the guy that works for the FBI that's involved in this and has all the answers to come tell the people that are writing the checks to pay his salary. That would be the House of Representatives. They control the purse of the entire government, by the way, and they want to find out what's going on there, and the guy won't even show up. Reminiscent of the Obama administration, when the attorney general then, attorney general, refused to come testify before Congress about some nasty illegal actions that he was over that happened at our southern border where they decided in the DOJ, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give a bunch of weapons, automatic weapons, to the cartels in Mexico. And the reason we're going to do it, we know they're going to use them, and some of them are going to be absconded when they're caught killing other people. And we'll know where and who are getting those drugs, uh, those those milita military-type automatic weapons from us, and then we can go get them. The only thing that happened was a couple of Customs and Border Patrol members were slaughtered during that time. Sounds kind of similar to me. Speaking of government entities, the Centers for Disease Control, those are the guys that made life a hell for every American during our COVID-19 lockdowns. They seem at the CDC to have lost some faith in the very science that Dr. Fauci, every day he was on television during COVID's pandemic, he told us, you've got to trust the science. You've got to trust the science, talking to you and me. And of course, we know there's a two-tiered justice system, maybe three or four tiers, but we certainly know it's more than one. 
after the CDC scientists found that when it comes to stopping the spread of COVID-19, listen to this, there's no difference between cheap surgical masks and N95 respirators. The CDC trashed their narrative-busted findings, warning the CDC scientists that their finding on masks is not scientifically correct. Now listen to this. According to an investigative journalist named Paul Thacker, this is how agency retaliation against scientists begins. One, the CDC director, Mandy Cohen, is all on mask, Thacker reported on X, known as Twitter previously. During congressional testimony last November, she would not explain whether she would bring back mask mandates for children. Six days later, he continued, a BMJ journal published a study that found mask recommendations for children are not supported by scientific evidence. Well, I mean, if it's science, it's science, right? So in his Substack report, Thacker wrote this, Director Cohen's scientific bumbling continued last week as her agency began fighting with CDC's own researchers over another contentious declaration, N95 respirators work better than do surgical masks. In recent years, mask advocates have shifted goalposts. They now demand N95 respirators, which they claim perform better than surgical masks at stopping the COVID virus. Not true, say CDC's own scientists. That's according to multiple CDC documents. Here's how it came about. During a presentation last summer, an expert at CDC said there was no difference between those N95 respirators and masks in stopping viruses. These findings have been supported by CDC scientists in a study that they published on the agency's website last November, just a couple of weeks before Director Cohen testified before Congress. To shut down this controversy, CDC wrote a blog last week warning researchers that to suggest that face masks and respirators are the same is not scientifically correct. I thought it was over. I thought our COVID-19 pandemic was over, according to the White House, right? I thought we had everything resolved. We knew everything that we needed to know. Well, you and I didn't. They don't want us to know. They just told us, hey, we'll tell you what to do. Listen to us. We got the facts. And then we find out CDC has long been at odds with its own scientists over this mass controversy. When, in May of 2020, when this whole crap started, the CDC published a policy study in their own journal that found surgical masks have no substantial effect on the spread of the viruses the agency started plugging N95 respirators as being superior to simple surgical masks. However, on their webpage promoting the superiority of N95s, the CDC did add one critical disclaimer. Quote, there's not a whole lot of evidence that N95 respirators do in fact work better than do masks at stopping viruses. In one example, CDC noted that a 2019 study compared respirators to masks and found no 
significant difference. No difference was also the conclusion reached by CDC scientists last summer and again after a systematic review that looked at real-world evidence. So the CDC is now in a blog last week warning readers that their scientists got the stuff wrong. Which thing did they say that was wrong, right? Although masks can provide some level of filtration, the level of filtration is not comparable to approved respirators. So in light of this mask insanity, Thacker has called on whistleblowers from inside the CDC to come forward. He said, I'm putting a call out to whistleblowers inside the CDC who would like to talk about what is going on at the agency. More than 40 years of clinical data shows zero measurable benefit from masking. It was never the science. Well, they just need to ask Anthony Fauci. He knows all the facts. In fact, he said over and over, I am the science. So just get Anthony, get Tony on the phone. He'll straighten it all out for you. Just to go back for just a second, I want to remind you, early in our pandemic, I happened to be perusing the massive CDC website. And guess what I found? I found from the CDC 42 different tested, controlled, in-laboratory testing of every kind of mask and its efficacy against COVID-19. Not one worked. Not one. We published them all. Two or three times, we reran the story. And it came from the CDC website. You know what the CDC did after that when I came out and was screaming and hollering it? They took that off their website because they wanted to be able to tell us all, here's what you must do. And remember how much crap they told us to do and crap we didn't want to do? And they made us do it? Most of it wasn't factual at all. I think it was all a test to just see how much of your life, your freedoms, you're willing to give up in the name of pandemic. I really think that's what it was all about. I think it was about a test. That's why I firmly believe we've got another one coming down the pike. It's probably going to be worse than COVID-19. So just a little note coming from President Joe Biden's steamy emergency unscheduled news conference yesterday evening. In those bombshell findings of that special counsel, Robert Hur, he was probing into Biden's mishandling of classified documents, predictably let him off the hook, but portrayed him as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a bad memory. In an ill-advised press release that only made things worse for the geriatric Democrat named Joe Biden, he angrily jousted with reporters but got confused about world leaders for the third time in less than a week when he mixed up presidents of Egypt and Mexico. Ask a question about the conflict between Israel and Hamas, Joe Biden misidentified Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi 
as the president of Mexico. As you know, initially the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him, Joe said. I convinced him to open up the gate. Biden said that unintentionally confirming hers brutal assessment of his mental state. Biden's spur-of-the-moment decision, just like they always do, to publicly defend himself after the council report dropped is another wet mop cleanup for his handlers who have had their hands pretty full with the deteriorating commander-in-chief who they desperately need to portray as mentally competent for re-election despite a mountain of evidence to the contrary. Reactions to Biden's disastrous press conference were brutal as ex-users held nothing back. Listen to a couple of these. Biden not making the best case for himself that he's not too old by referring to Egypt as Mexico, saying that Mexico had a gate next to Gaza. Who on earth thought it was a good idea to roll Joe Biden out past bedtime? Unless, of course, the Democrats are throwing him under the bus. Another one, setting aside the dishonest framing of what the special counsel report said, Biden is not reassuring anyone right now. Blood is in the water, folks. Max Abrams said, glad to see Joe dispel mental acuity concerns. Matt Taibbi, that Biden presser was one of the most uncomfortable moments in presidential history. Matt Walsh, congressman from Florida. Tonight, as Putin gave intelligent, scholarly answers that delved into a thousand years of Russian history, President Biden was babbling incoherently about how the president of Egypt is actually the president of Mexico. Jackie Heinrich, she's a White House correspondent for Fox News, said Biden's lawyer wrote to her asking that he revise descriptions of the president's memory, notable giving voters concerns about his mental capacity. Not only do you treat the president differently from other witnesses when discussing his limited recall of certain years-ago events, but you also do so on occasions in prejudicial and inflammatory terms. That's what Biden's lawyer wrote back to her, the special counsel. We request that you revisit your description of President Biden's memory and revise them so that they are stated in a manner that is within the bounds of of your expertise and remit. Like the writer of that knows the extent of hers expertise about what he said. And so what was that really about that letter that went from the president to special counsel her? You better listen to us, boy. You better tell everybody what we tell you to say or we'll kick you to the curb just like we do everybody else that we don't agree with. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring six forty nine in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just six forty nine. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices. At participating locations plus. 
friend of mine said he wanted to talk to me about my Volvo. I told him, thank you, that's between me and my gynecologist. He said, no, no, your car, your Volvo 850 Turbo Sports Wagon. I said, oh, that. No, you can't drive it. Oh, I love my Volvo. Sure, it's safe, but gee, just because driving on the freeways of Southern California is the equivalent of playing bumper cars at the speed of light, what kind of reason is that? Volvos are still ultra-luxury imports, sleek and gorgeous and loaded to hear, safe and sexy, and pardon me, I have to go hug my car now. Want safe and sexy? Viva la Volvo! Test drive a Volvo 850 at your Southern California Volvo dealer. Since when is safe sexy, another friend asked. Hey, I said, what decade are you living in? Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue. Cheddar, sour cream, salt and vinegar too. You sample them all cause the crisp is so good on your lips. Left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. No identity politics. No political elitism. Read and hear the truth. Always sourced from facts. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. If you were watching the president's speech that he gave last night, you probably missed out on another uh, get-together that I'm sure was more enlightening than was the president's. Tucker Carlson published an interview that he had with Russian strongman Vladimir Putin. And in that interview last night, Putin encouraged us, the United States of America, to allow China to expand its economic influence in the West in an interview with Tucker Carlson. Putin, who sat with Carlson in Moscow for a nearly two-hour interview with a prominent emphasis on early medieval history, Putin told Carlson as a stand-in for America, you are hurting yourself by attempting to limit malignant Chinese Communist Party influence on the American economy. Do Chinese businesses have small presence in the United States? Yes. The political decisions are such that they're trying to limit their cooperation with China. That's Putin, obviously talking through a translator. It is to your own detriment, Mr. Tucker, that you are limiting cooperation with China. You're hurting yourself. It's a delicate matter and there are no silver bullet solutions, just as it is with the dollar. Carlson asked Vlad if he was concerned that China, much less sentimental and forgiving colonial power than America, was ascended in a way that could hurt Russia, which Putin dismissed as a boogeyman story. It's a boogeyman story. We're neighbors with China. You can't choose neighbors, just as you can't choose close relatives. 
We share a border of a thousand kilometers with them. This is number one. We're always told the same boogeyman story, and here it goes again, though in a euphemistic form. But it's still the same same old boogeyman story. The cooperation with China keeps increasing. The pace at which China's cooperation with Europe is growing is higher and greater than that of the growth of Chinese-Russian cooperation. Ask the Europeans, aren't they afraid? Well, they might be. I don't know but they're still trying to access China's market at all costs. So Putin went on to claim that China, a country that is actively attempting to seize the sovereign territories of Vietnam, the Philippines, Malaysia, Brunei, India, Japan, and the entire nation of Taiwan, was seeking compromise with the world. China's foreign policy philosophy is not aggressive, Its idea is to always look for compromise, and we can see that. But in reality, China's economic expansion has been accompanied by colonialist aggression, particularly in Africa, where its Belt and Road Initiative loans have trapped some of the most impoverished countries on the continent and allowed for the importing of racist Chinese abusers. In America, China's economic influence has been accompanied by a collapse of American manufacturing, widespread intellectual property theft, and the presence of slave-made products in American stores, among a bunch of other calamities. Putin's assessment of China's role in the American economy aligns with that of current President Joe Biden. He's a candidate, insisted it was bizarre to think of China as a rival to America. Biden said this in 2020. The idea that they're our competition, that they're going to beat us, is bizarre. We talk about China as our competitor. We should be helping and benefiting ourselves by doing that. But the idea that China is going to eat our lunch, it's like I remember in the debates in the late 90s. Remember, Japan was going to own us. Give me a break. Oh, and don't forget about this. The Biden family has made millions, millions of dollars in business deals with and in China. Well, well, well. On that note, let's just quickly flip to another um, not-so-positive perspective about what China is already doing in the United States besides buying up all our real estate. Listen to this. Meanwhile, a new report from the Joint Cybersecurity Advisory is warning that China's state-sponsored hacking group called Vault Typhoon has been living in networks tied to critical U.S. infrastructure systems for at least five years. Uh, Before the discovery, the hackers uh, infiltrated communications, energy and transportation systems, as well as waste and wastewater system sectors in the continental United States and in U.S. territories like Guam. Joining me right now to talk more about the threat of communist China is the Gatestone Institute senior fellow. He is author of The Coming Collapse of China, as well as China is Going to War. Author Gordon Chang is back with me. Gordon, great to see you. But is it anybody surprised at this point that China is now preparing for war with the United States? Look at what's going on. You've got, of course, uh, all of the thousands of Chinese migrants coming into this country, 28,000 at the end of last year. Uh, They're largely military-aged men. You've got the Chinese Communist Party sending surveillance balloon into America and 
you know, getting information back in real time from our military installations. You've got fentanyl and the drug trade coming, originating in China. Clearly, the Chinese Communist Party is trying to destabilize America. Why? Well, certainly, because they believe that the Communist Party will never be safe as long as the United States exists. And it's not because of anything we say or do, Maria, but it's because of who we are. Because you have an insecure regime in Beijing is worried about the inspirational impact of American values and form of governance on a very unhappy Chinese people. So they are doing all those things you are talking about. And it is to take down the United States to make sure that we are no longer a sovereign state. And, and the way they do it is right in our faces. You've got pictures pictures that we were just talking about in, in the commercial break, pictures of Chinese nationals doing target pra practice with huge machine guns. Tell me about this. Yeah, these were Chinese migrants who had come into the U.S. They were here for less than three weeks. And what were they doing? They were taking target practice with semi-automatic rifles. Now, if you're a migrant coming into the U.S. with just a backpack, you're probably thinking about, I need a place to live. I need to eat maybe get a job, you don't think about sharpening your skills to kill Americans. Well, well, that's what I want to know. What is behind this? Is Chinese, is the Communist Party of China trying to uh, weaken the United States to overtake the U.S. as the number one superpower or worse? Yeah, it's, it's worse. It's worse. It's worse because, first of all, Xi Jinping believes that China is the world's only sovereign state. And then from there you go to their just belief that the U.S. is the obstacle to what they want. But, you know, we're talking about these migrants coming in. Um, there's that lab in Reedley, California, a secret Chinese biological weapons facility that was found last March. It had at least 20 pathogens, including the one for Ebola and almost a thousand mice that had been genetically engineered to spread disease. So this could not have been the only secret Chinese facility in the U.S. You got all of these saboteurs coming across our border. They're going to link up with these facilities, which means that before the first shot is fired in a war on Asia, they're just going to turn off the lights, turn off the water, shut off the gas. Nothing in the U.S. will work. And we know that they've done experiments to see how far they can take it. The COVID experiment. Okay, we're not that's stupid. We know that it, you know, uh, leaked from the Wuhan lab. Yeah. But what, what, what we don't know is whether or not it was intentional. And then we know that the CCP followed up after leaking COVID in this experiment to kill everybody and get everybody sick. But then they covered it up. Well, they, they did worse than that, actually. What they did in December 2019, January 2020, they purposely told the world that COVID-19 was not transmissible human to human when they knew it was highly contagious. And while they were locking down their own country, yes, lockdowns are controversial, but by locking it down, they meant they were telling the world they thought this would be effective. While they were locking down their own country, they were pressuring us to take arrivals from China without restrictions. Put those two things together, and it means that they deliberately spread the disease beyond China's borders. That's 7 million people outside China killed by COVID. Yeah, and I remember the moment very clearly. Donald Trump was the president. The Chinese Communist Party had a delegation. They went to Washington. They were celebrating their trade deal that they never kept their promise on, by the way. Uh, they, they came here. Who the hell knows who had COVID in that group, but they were shaking everybody's hands right on stage. Let's shake everybody's hand for the trade deal that we did. Then they all went to Davos, Switzerland, the largest delegation, except for this last Davos. Uh, they went to Davos and they just went and did their business. I don't 
don't know how many people in there had COVID. And then what they did, they had a partnership with Italy, with the Belt and Road uh, in Italy. So they had the, the flights go directly from Wuhan to northern Italy, where all the Chinese were working in the factories. I mean, Joe Biden is ignoring all of this. I don't know if it's because he's compromised, because he's taken the 10 mil millions and millions of dollars from communist China, as the oversight committee tells us. I don't know. I haven't done the investigation. But we know he's incredibly soft on communist China. Well, you know, talking about this, when President Trump imposed the travel ban on Chinese, uh, Chinese arrivals in January 2020, it was Joe Biden who said it was, quote unquote, xenophobic to do that. Unbelievable. So, you know. And let's not forget back in 2013, 2014, under Joe Biden's leadership when he was the vice president, he allowed thousands of Chinese companies to trade on U.S. exchanges and not follow SEC auditing rules. Those companies are still in our indexes. Those companies are still in the stock market here, and, and American investors are buying those stocks. And, and not only are they losing money on it because China is facing a massive stock market route, but they're also funding the expansion of our number one adversary. Why isn't Joe Biden doing anything? Why can't they have the courage to use the capital markets level uh, lever and get these companies off of our exchanges? Some of them are sanctioned, by the way. Yeah, well, well, Biden has the authority. This is the International Emergency Economic Powers Act of 1977. He could cut off the flow to those Chinese companies. And by the way, you know, China doesn't have a distinction between civil and military. Under Xi Jinping's doctrine of military-civil fusion, That's right. everything a civilian company has gets pipelined to the Chinese military. Well, I want to know if Xi Jinping is going to be successful with all these grand plans to overtake America, because let's face the reality of what's going on in China and the economy there. The, the consumer price index uh, in China overnight fell deeply into deflationary territory last month. China's CPI declining overnight by the sharpest fall in more than 14 years. The producer price index also declining for the 16th straight month in January. You would think this is good news, but not when it's deflationary. The data coming one day after China replaced its top securities regulator, Gordon. And don't forget, the, the stock market there has lost trillions and trillions of dollars in market value. So all for those globalists who think, oh, I want to buy China, you're losing money. It's not even a, it's not even a, a money making opportunity. Six trillion dollars, three years. Yeah. And, and basically, Xi Jinping's his solution to this is not structural reform of China, which is the only thing that will save equity values in the long run. What he's trying to do is he's got massive government buying the so-called national team, you know, the state banks, state enterprises. But also he's starting to stop short selling. He's saying, oh, you can't short sell anymore. And the point is, really, what you've got is in China is a top down system that doesn't understand it. And when people buy Chinese stocks, they're not buying the stock of a company. They're basically buying government policy because that's, that's what right. drives the markets up and down. Yeah, absolutely right. Real quick, Gordon, what are we going to do about this? Well, I think, first of all, we've got to cut off the flow of investment. Um, and we've got to... About all of it. About all of it. It's, it's, it's all of it. And, and technical cooperation. I mean, we're giving them the world's best technology for free, including, by the way, gain-of-function technology, which Wuhan Institute of Virology used to create COVID-19. It's but, unbelievable. You know, Gordon, if we're not giving it to them, they're stealing it anyway. They're, they're stealing it anyway, and we're allowing them to do it because we're not defending our networks and we're doing all this. And besides, Biden's foreign policies are just opening the door. His LNG discussion, his LNG move, you know, really, really bad because what it does is it allows China to say to the world, the U.S. is not a reliable supplier of energy. You need to buy dirty Chinese coal instead of clean U.S. LNG. Yeah, I hate to ask the question again, but I have to. What does Beijing have on Joe Biden? Yeah, well, it has something. Either that what or... What does Beijing have on Joe Biden? 
Well, the Chinese think they do because just after he was elected, but before he took office, they had that famous lecture by a guy named Di Dongchong, yep. a famous academic. He yep. said, we own the White House. When Biden gets back into the Oval Office, we're going to determine American policy yeah. at the highest level. Meanwhile, he's still taking walks with him in the park in that last meeting, November last year, uh, and not bringing any of these up, any of these issues up. Gordon, thank you. I know when you listen to something like that, it's in the world of finance. It gets long, and they go and jump from place to place. Those are all important things. I encourage you, when we get information from these two, you just heard Gordon Chang and then Maria Bartiromo, they're experts at economic matters and finance. Gordon Chang is an expert on China. He's of Chinese descent himself. We need to pay attention to what's going on, what we're being told. And the very end of that soundbite, you heard Maria ask him, what does Beijing have on Joe Biden? It's very obvious to a whole lot of people. They have something on Joe. And the money thing, all the money, the CEFC, that big corporation that had a massive billion-dollar contract with Hunter Biden, nobody that is credible can even fathom that Hunter Biden got hooked up with the CEFC because he was a businessman. He didn't know anything about what he was doing. All he was really doing was selling access, political access, to his father, who was then vice president of the United States. We're not going to wear that out anymore. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. And everybody asks the same question. What does China have? on Joe Biden. A story popped up this morning that it really shocked me. It's coming out of Hawaii. This one, it shouldn't surprise me, but it did. Hawaii's Supreme Court has scoffed at the U.S. Supreme Court ruling. What ruling would that be? Right to carry a firearm in public. Listen to this. February 7th, Hawaii's Supreme Court issued a decision saying the U.S. Supreme Court's Bruin, that was in 2022, that finding, does not surpass Hawaii's Constitution, which recognizes, quote, no state constitutional right to carry a firearm in public. The decision came in Hawaii v. Wilson, a case in which Wilson is seeking recognition of his right to carry a gun in public for self-defense without first acquiring a permit from the state. That decision and the Supreme Court unanimously decided against Wilson with Judge Tata Edens, a Governor David Ige appointee, writing the majority opinion. Edens wrote, We reject Wilson's constitutional challenges, Conventional interpretive modalities in Hawaii's historical tradition of firearm regulation rule out an individual right to keep and bear arms under the Hawaii Constitution. He then directly addressed the U.S. Supreme Court's Bruin decision, which struck down New York's proper cause requirement for concealed carry permit issuance. Edens wrote, Bruin snubs federalism principles. Still, the United States Supreme Court does not strip states of all sovereignty to pass traditional police power laws 
designed to protect people. He later added this, states retain the authority to require that individuals have a license before carrying a firearm in public. It remains to be seen what, if any, appellate action will take place in light of another important aspect of the Bruin decision, namely the recognition that the Second Amendment protects the right to carry guns outside the home for self-defense. So on June 23rd, 2022, there was a quote from Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas that was published in his majority opinion. In that decision, he referenced previous cases affirming the right to keep and bear arms in the home for self-defense, then turned to Bruin and said, in this case, petitioners and respondents agree that ordinary law-abiding citizens have a similar right to carry handguns publicly for their own self-defense. The case is called Hawaii v. Wilson, and it's in the Hawaii Supreme Court. So is this the example of Hawaii's Supreme Court trying to do what Colorado's Supreme Court did? They want to, as a state judicial process, they want what they think to supersede what the law, the federal law, which rules every American and every American state, what can and can't be done, and the Supreme Court on numerous occasions has made it very clear that Americans have the right to own a gun for their personal self-defense. You just can't make this stuff up, folks. I mean, it's out there. It's insane, but it's out there over and over and over again. Some interesting news came out overnight. Joe Biden's migration is now severely cutting U.S. wages and also workplace investment, which is mandatory to be able to have cash flow and for corporations to do what they're structured to do. The CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, they estimate that Biden's increase in population, population of what and who? Illegal immigrants. It's already putting downward pressure on average real wages. It's in the report that was released two days ago. Average real wages are expected to be slightly lower by 2034 than they would be otherwise. So this official report reinforces the vast evidence that migration shifts family wages, workplace investment toward Wall Street, real estate, coastal states, and government, while also diverting politicians' focus away from Americans and their communities. The CBO report optimistically projects Biden's migrant surge will be over by 2028. Oh my gosh, that's four more years of this crap. But it also predicts there will be no long-term recovery in Americans' wages as investors in government use the migrant labor to absorb a greater share of new wealth that's being produced each year, which was pretty much formally owned by those that were making that wealth. From 2028 to 2020, excuse me, 2034, 28 to 34, Labor income is projected to remain stable as a percentage of GDP averaging 57.1%. 
That, however, is below labor income's average percentage of GDP from 1947 all the way to 2000, 60.4%. Why? Because some factors that have depressed labor income relative to gross domestic products since 2000 are expected to persist in the upcoming decade. The inflow of migrants will be a subsidy for the consumer economy and real estate companies, according to this report. Many small-town government libertarians praise migration, but the Congressional Budget Office noted that the inflow of poor migrants will also help grow government at a much faster rate. Government debt will rise by $19 trillion, up to $54 trillion by 2034. So the arrival of these millions of lower-wage laborers is going to be accompanied by a slowdown in productivity-boosting, wealth-generating business investment. Four years, here we are, four years after the coronavirus shock, that investment grew 4.1% in 2023, but CBO says it's going to drop to just 2.7% per year during the 2029 to 2034 period. This reduced business investment will help slow the growth and wealth-generating productivity of U.S. workers. All this spending, all this illegality and letting millions and millions of illegals come into this country, we're told the reason all the time they're doing it is because it's going to make everybody better. It's good for business. As one member of Congress said, I laughed when he said it, we've got to have these illegals coming in. The vegetables won't be able to be picked because there'll be nobody there to pick them and they'll rot in the fields. A lot of these lawmakers believe that, Democrat lawmakers. At least they're telling us that. What they're really saying is, there are lots of ways that the people that fund my campaign can use these illegals to come in, principally in the agriculture business, especially out in California, because they can pay them lower wages. They can hold greater control over these indigents that come in. And by doing that, their profits go up and their payroll expenses go down. It's really good for the bottom line. Follow the money. I tell you that all the time. Follow the money. Folks, that's a wrap on this week. Thank you for sharing the week with us. We love getting together with you every morning. Tell somebody about the show and point them. Tell them how to get here to share live with us. And then, of course, to get a podcast of every show, couple of minutes after we go off the air at their favorite podcast hosting site. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday morning and uh, do your best this weekend. Enjoy family. Come on. About to do it like this, about to do it like this, y'all. And we leave with a good song. Mr. Talkbox. When I sit back and imagine life without you, I can't fathom how I ever thought I'd make it on my own. And there's at least a million reasons I'm still standing here believing. You're my comfort, you're my healing. This I know.